turn our, we'll turn in our Bibles to Luke 1 and give honor to God's holy word. We'll stand together as we read Luke 1. Let's stand together, if you're able. We'll be reading together Luke 1, 46 through 56. That's the song of Mary, the Magnificat. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. He has regarded, or he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with food, with good things, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her, that is, with Elizabeth, about three months, then returned to her home. Please be seated. It's very often that when God does great things, that there is... Songs of praise. Songs of praise. Now, you could probably think of leaving out of Egypt after God had drowned the Egyptians. Miriam praised God in song and giving God praise. And that that song is recorded for us as Holy Scripture. We have Hannah giving her song of praise to the Lord. And that's recorded as Scripture Mary here sings unto the Lord, and, and that is recorded as Scripture. Uh, this uh, particular passage is not mentioned as being a song in particular. It doesn't say this is the song of Mary, but it's been known, or it's been given the title of Magnificat. Now, if you don't know where that title comes from, we'll, we'll see that in a second. But it's one of the most famous portions of praise given in the New Testament. Some call this the Song of Mary. If you, We'll sing this later at the close of our worship, the Song of Mary, a hymn um, where it puts this to music and it's considered the Song of Mary. Um, but again, this praise is very parallel to the praise that Hannah gave back in 1 Samuel 2. We're not going to turn there, but both of those passages begin with exalting the Lord. And when we read here in our text, it says in the New American Standard, my soul exalts the Lord. That could be also translated as my soul magnifies the Lord. That's what's the translation in the New King James and in the ESV. My soul magnifies the Lord. And from that translation of her soul magnifying the Lord, that's why we get the title Magnificat. It comes from that word magnify. Holy Scripture, again, came to us as we read in, uh, in some passages, especially in 2 Peter 1. Scripture came to us from 
prophets and apostles, holy men who were inspired and carried along by the Holy Spirit. But here is one passage like that of Hannah and the words of Elizabeth earlier in this chapter where we have praise to God that comes from a woman and from Mary. And we find here that Mary was inspired to give forth divine praise. And this divine praise is recorded for us here as Scripture. As we look at today's text, focusing on the Magnificat, we'll see that we are to praise and seek God's mercy. We are to praise God and seek his mercy. And we'll see this in three main points. Rejoice in God like Mary. Fear God to receive his mercy. And trust in the covenant-keeping God. Let's look at this first main point. Rejoice in God like Mary. Notice how Mary began her praise to God. Verses 46 and 47, she says, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. I don't know if everyone would realize this, but we can't make God more exalted than he already is. Or when we pray, hallowed be thy name. May your name be hallowed. May your name be glorified, made holy. We can't make God's name any more holy than it already is. But you could... What Mary's doing here is she's exalting the Lord for others to see. When we pray, if you now this is something maybe you could do for your own study. If you want to look at the, uh, if you want to look at more information on this, you can go to your uh, shorter catechism and you you could look at what the petitions of the Lord's prayer are. Especially, what does it mean to say, "Hallowed be Thy name"? You're asking God's name to be hallowed in your life and in the life of others. Uh, that's an example of one of the applications of it. Now, notice that Mary rejoiced in God, who she called her Savior. Mary called God her Savior. The Roman Catholic Church uh, claims a false doctrine that we know of as the Immaculate Conception of Mary. And what that teaching is, it says that Mary, and this has been a dogma since before 1900, it's been like the 18-somethings, they they put this doctrine as a dogma, which means it's something that really can't be changed. But the Roman Church claims that Mary was born sinless, and uh, she was even conceived in the womb of her parent, her mother, without sin. Um, But why would she then, here in this particular passage, say God is her Savior? Because in Scripture, there's not one piece of evidence whatsoever that Mary was born sinless or that Mary was without sin. Um, It says even, according to today's text, that she herself needed a Savior, that she needed to be saved from her sins. Um, She called God her Savior because she needed saving as well. Now, from her own mouth, she recognized and placed herself with other sinners that she needed God's grace and mercy. Now, again, the Roman Church continues to exalt Mary as another mediator other than Christ. But in our text, Mary didn't exalt herself. Mary exalted the Lord. And it says that she humbled herself. In addition to imitating Mary's praise, we should imitate Mary's humility. Look at verse 48. She said that, For he, that is God, has 
had regard for the humble state of, of his bond slave. Now, uh, some don't like the notion of being a slave or a bond slave. Uh, in, the, in the Greek here, it's not really bond slave, it's just slave, female slave, actually. Um, we'll look at another passage. I, the New American Standard, anytime it says slave, they don't want to put slave, they want to put bond slave. Um, there's no compound word here, it's just female slave. But from her own mouth, uh, she calls herself uh, a slave of God. Now, other translations talk about the servant of God. You're, I'm your servant. But that's not strong enough to emphasize uh, what's given here. Um, the bond slave, uh, that when we read that, it means that you're bound to a master. And that's what she calls herself before the Lord. Uh, she's not the only one. Paul the Apostle, likewise, at the very beginning of Romans 1, there in your outline, Paul the Apostle says this. He introduces himself to the Roman church. Paul, a bond slave, and again, that's literally slave in masculine, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. It takes humility to call yourself to be a slave of God. Now, how did Mary then rejoice in God's blessing for her special privilege. Look at how she received and how she responded to this special privilege given to her. Verses 48 and 49, the middle of verse 48. For behold, she said, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Now, what are the great things that God has done for Mary? Now, we'll just, let's backtrack a little bit. We'll look at um, verses 30 and 32, 30 through 32. The angel of the Lord said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Wow, you're going to have a son, but he's not any son. <laughs> he is the, the son of God, the son of the Most High. The son of the Most High God. What a magnificent privilege that Mary would be allowed to bear in her womb the Son of the Most High, God. And that's why Mary would say, The Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. And that's why she also would say that many would count her blessed forever. But you know what? It's not just Mary. What about us? I think we can own this passage here we can say, the Mighty One has done great things for me as well. If we receive the Son of Mary, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior, we can say, truly, the Lord has done great things for me. Holy is His name. And in, we'll, we'll look at this in a future sermon because it looks like we'll be going through Luke now, now that we began it. But uh, we'll, we'll see this in a future sermon. And this is what God has, is doing and what God has done for us. We'll look at uh, 
look forward a little bit to verses 68 and 69. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This is the prophecy of Zechariah. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Zechariah would say, God has done great things for me because he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now also, Mary goes on to say in the Magnificat that we are to fear God to receive his mercy. That's our second main point. You must fear God to receive his mercy. Look at verse 50. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Now, the Greek word there in in verse 50 for mercy can also be translated as compassion or pity. Now, you meet people who might think that they don't need God's compassion, God's pity, God's mercy, because they're already a good person. Um, After all, they haven't really committed any really bad sins, have they? But I believe if any of us had to stand before the holy, infinitely perfect, righteous God, we would say, like Isaiah, if we had to stand in our own standing, in our own merit, apart from Christ, we would say, like Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, That's what we would say if we had to stand in our own level of obedience. Scripture doesn't say we're good people. Scripture says we're sinners in need of a Savior. Each of us desperately need God's mercy. And each of us desperately need God's answer toward our mercy, which is His giving us His only begotten Son. Now, to receive God's offer of mercy the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to humble yourself just like Mary humbled herself. And you have to reject the sin of a proud heart. Look at verses 51 and following. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Now, it's not just the rulers of nations who need to be brought down and humbled, the rulers of thrones who need to be brought down and humbled. It's everyday people. It's ordinary people. Ordinary men, women, and children need to be humbled before the Lord. That includes people in Louisiana, Throughout the United States and throughout this world, people need to be humble before the Lord. Those who have a proud heart have an idol. And what's that idol? It's the idol they look at every time they go and look in the mirror. And oftentimes it's, it's really themselves. Mary said here that God scatters those who have, a, who have proud thoughts in their heart. Those who he has who have exalted themselves will be humbled. And then uh, James 4 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. 
So the key to such humility is the fear of God and is it's admitting and confessing that you are a sinner in God's sight and that you desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. That leads us next to then trusting in the covenant-keeping God. Uh, verses 54 and following. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, his descendants forever. Now, how is it that God's a help to Israel, his servant? Uh, Israel is another name for Jacob, right? And Jacob had long ago died. So how is God being a help to Israel uh, at this particular time? He's already dead. Well, he's fulfilling his promises. God's fulfilling his promises to the 12 tribes who are the sons of, of Israel or the sons of Jacob in giving the Messiah, Messiah that had been long ago promised. God remembered his mercy, his promises to Abraham and his descendants forever, it says in verse 55. Now, let's look at those promises made to Abraham. We'll turn to Genesis 17. Genesis 17, we'll read 1 through 7. This is what God said unto Abraham at the time was Abram. Now, when Abram was... 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations." No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Now, this passage talks about kings coming from Ab- Abraham. Uh, we, we know uh, the descendants, all the kings of Israel and Judah, King David, King Solomon, and the many kings that followed after them were all descendants from Abraham. So God fulfilled that promise there. But the one that you, you have to look at and say, well, how did a multitude of nations get blessed through Abraham? Well, we know that Two kingdoms came out of one because of the sin of Solomon's son. Uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he listened to foolish young advisors rather than listening to the the wise elders of Israel. And then he caused the the kingdom to be split into two, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Uh, You have the northern and the southern kingdom. Okay, But it says here that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. How is Abraham the father of a multitude of nations when... In the Old Testament, we only see really two nations, and maybe later on, vassal nations under David and Solomon. I think the answer for us, uh, again, we, when we read in Genesis 22, the answer is that he is told that he would have descendants as multi- as in a great multitude as the stars of the heavens and as the sand of the seashore. 
and in the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Verses 17 and 18 of Genesis 22. Again, Mary said to Abraham and to his descendants forever, the blessing comes. Now, maybe you're concerned. You might say, well, why? I'm not a descendant of Abraham by blood because I'm not, I don't have any Jewish lineage. How do I know the promises for me? We're told later on in Galatians 3 that the seed, singular, Jesus, is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And I, 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 this, I love this passage in Galatians 3, 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs to promise. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are an heir of Abraham. You can say, Abraham is my father in the faith, because Abraham looked forward to Jesus, and I look back unto what Jesus has already done and I'm a child of Abraham by faith through Jesus Christ. More importantly, you're a child of God through Jesus Christ. You are heirs according to the promise. What are you going to inherit through Jesus Christ as the seed of Abraham? You will inherit eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, after, that, after you die, you go to be immediately with the Lord. But... In the end, on that great day of resurrection, you will be raised and you'll be given a body like unto the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be given a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where the Lamb is the light of that new heavens and new earth. God will wipe away every tear and you will be in a glorious inheritance. It's not just some arid piece of land that you will inherit in, in Israel. You will inherit a new heavens and a new earth. That's cause for rejoicing. Maybe when you meet some Jewish friends, you could tell them, I'm a child of Abraham. You could tell them, because you know for sure by what Scripture has told you, that you who have Christ, who belong to Christ by faith, you are an heir according to the promise, a child of Abraham by faith, Abraham's descendants as well. Praise God and seek his mercy like Mary. Rejoice like Mary rejoiced. Fear God, because unless you fear God and humble yourself, you will not inherit the blessing. But also trust that God is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. He made promises to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob long ago, and he fulfilled his promises in the full through Jesus our Lord. Rejoice this day in what God has given you and giving you his only begotten son to be born of the virgin, to be that second Adam who undid all of the failures of our first forefather. Let's pray together and rejoice. Oh, Lord, we do rejoice in you that you have given us great things. You have done for us great things through your beloved Son, Jesus our Lord. We magnify your holy name. We exalt your holy name. For you are a God of mercy and love, a God of rich blessing. 
We thank you that your favor is upon generation after generation of those who fear you. And we ask, O Father, that you would help us to fear you and that we would cling to Jesus as the most precious gift that we have ever received or ever shall receive. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to give you the praise and the honor always. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's stand for our closing hymn as we turn to 301, uh, the Song of Mary. Let's stand and sing 301.